I would like to begin my reflections this evening with a question. How many of you know how to pray? Raise your hands. Yeah, a significant number of people have raised their hands. A significant number haven't. You know, I do quite a bit of spiritual direction in my role as a priest over the last uh, 49 years. And one of the questions that people consistently ask when they come for spiritual direction is, Father, Bishop, uh, teach me how to pray. Because I think there's a sense of inadequacy about praying in most of our minds and our hearts. And in answer to that, Jesus gives us today's scripture readings. Uh, the first reading from the Old Testament, book of Genesis, and today's gospel is about prayer, and especially about persistence in prayer. So those are the things I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, do you know who Dennis Prager is? He's a radio talk show host, conservative, a Jewish man who's very proud of being a, a semi-Orthodox Jew. And he's written a, a, a book, a couple of books now, in a series of five books on the Torah, which are the first five books of the Jewish Bible. And the first book that he, uh, no, the second book that he wrote was on the book of Genesis. So I went to that today. I, I buy his books and read them and uh, looked at this passage from Genesis and, and to see what he had to say as a Jew. And he said that this is the passage in Scripture that gives the reputation to Jewish lawyers, whatever that means, you know. Um, that dialogue between Abraham and God about lowering the number of just people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is in some stereotypical way associated with the Jewish people because of our father Abraham. So this prayer is given to us um, to lead us into today's gospel, but it's a passage that teaches us some important things about prayer. And of course, the obvious point that it's trying to make is it's very good for us to be persistent in our prayers. What does the word persistent mean? Does it mean nagging? Well, nagging mothers are persistent, but the way they do their persistent pleading is called nagging. That's not a positive thing. But to be persistent means not to give up, to keep at it regardless of the difficulties. And we see in this reading that Abraham was never satisfied with getting God to lower the number of just people. He wanted God to have absolute mercy on the people of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. But it's a, it's a reading about being persistent in our prayers. But another thing it teaches us is the quality of our prayer with God should not be formal. This is hardly saying the Hail Mary five times, you know. You know, there's nothing pretty about what Abraham does in this reading. Um, it's not polite, even. What it is is vigorously honest and bold and, most of all, humble but persistent. 
So use that as a gauge for your own prayer. Prayer is simply, you want to define prayer, it's simply our relationship with God. Generally our spoken or thought process of our relationship with God. Now in your conversations with God, is there formality? Or are you bold and insistent and conversational in your prayer? Because if you're not, you're probably not really praying. Because prayer is a real relationship with God in the same way that you would have a real relationship with your spouse or your beloved or your really good friend, your parents or your children. That's how our relationship with God should be when we come to pray. Now, when we ask God for things, we don't tell God something he didn't know already. You know, for example, if somebody is sick in your family and you go to pray for healing, you're not telling God something that he doesn't already know. And we're also, uh, it's also sure that our, our prayer doesn't force God to do something that he wouldn't do anyway. So what is the value of our intercessory prayer? Intercessory prayer means asking for something, right? Well, I think the answer to that, although it's maybe difficult for us to understand, is that God desires us to be engaged in a prayer relationship with him. That the way God enters into our lives, into the lives of our families and friends, into the church, into the world, is in a partnership with us. You know, God will do what God wants to do, but he wants us at his side participating in his activities. And that's why it's part of our Christian tradition to be women and men who constantly ask the Lord to do good things in the world in which we live. Good things for our families, good things for ourselves, good things for our country. And our prayers make a difference because God has chosen that our prayers will make a difference, you know. God can get along fine without us, but God chooses that enterprise of prayer as his way of acting in the world. So if you don't pray, that makes a difference in a negative sense. If you do pray, you enter into the pattern of God's salvation history, God's desire of salvation for all of us. The prayer of Abraham made a difference in today's first reading. And your prayer and my prayer makes all the difference in the world because God desires our participation. So you should be busy about praying and don't think for a minute that God can get along fine without you. Oh, he can, but, he decide, but he's decided not to. He wants our partnership when it comes to prayer. So that brings us to today's gospel. Uh, Jesus is praying, 
And I think the best um, draw to prayer in our lives is still seeing someone else praying. I have vivid memories, very vivid memories, of my father kneeling at his bed every night praying for me and for our family. And the morning, too. Now, I'm sure my father could have said those prayers in the car going to work, but I wouldn't have seen it. And his prayer would have been effective that way, but it wouldn't have been effective in changing me or making an impression on me. And that's what happened in today's gospel. The apostles saw that Jesus was praying. That, that aroused their curiosity, and they asked him to teach them how to pray like he's praying. So that leads me to say to those of you who are parents, you've got to pray in a way that your children notice. My mother prayed more than my father. I don't know if that's always the case. I think oftentimes our mothers seem to pray more than our fathers. But she had a booklet full of holy cards and a rosary that was constantly in her hands. And she would sit in a chair and pray um, often throughout the day. And I'm sure that made a big difference for me and my siblings seeing our mother praying. Husbands need to see their wives praying. Wives need to see their husbands praying. Um, You pray with your friends. Here's a really good one. If your girlfriend's with you at Mass tonight, do you pray with her? Does she pray with you? Or are you too embarrassed for that kind of personal relationship in your romance? You know, God should be part of the life uh, of our, all of our relationships, and we should see one another praying. Are you embarrassed to pray in a restaurant? Uh, some people don't want to pray in a restaurant, and they use the excuse, well, I don't want to embarrass the other people in the room. They'll get embarrassed if they see me make a sign of the cross and pray. That's not true. You're the one that's getting embarrassed. That's why you don't want to do it, you know. And if it embarrasses them, there's something wrong, you know. I think that uh, in some ways they might even admire the person who's willingly to publicly proclaim her faith by that kind of public prayer. So it's important for people to see us praying. Of course, we have to be praying for that to happen. So it's more important for us to be men and women of prayer. Now, when people have asked me to teach them to pray, I don't actually know how to do that because you can't teach anyone to pray. You can teach them formulas that they can use, but if prayer is a personal expression of a real relationship with God, you can't do that for someone else, right? So the way you become a man of prayer, the way you become a woman of, a woman of prayer is for you to be a woman or a man of faith who trusts in God, for whom God is a real part of your life and someone to whom you have a desire to express your love, affection, trust, and hope. But anyway, we can teach each other techniques that help us to get there, and we can teach people formulas. You know, when you go to 
religious education, you're supposed to learn your prayers. You know, the Hail Mary and the Our Father and the Glory Be and the Act of Contrition, Acts of Faith, Hope, and Charity. Um, but I don't know if that ever taught anybody to pray. I just taught them to say prayers, right? And, and many times when we got older, since we didn't learn how to pray, we stopped saying those formulas and we forgot how to do it. You know, we at least for, forgot those particular words. So what Jesus is doing in this gospel reading is giving his disciples, and that means all of us, a basic formula that in some way captures the elements of what it means to be a person of prayer. It doesn't mean he's not teaching us to say words. He's teaching us how to become something other than we naturally are so that when we say those words, we actually mean them, right? The Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, um, has two different form, forms. Uh, the one that you heard tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke is shorter than the one we find in the Gospel of St. Matthew. And the one that we commonly pray in the church, like we'll do at Mass tonight, is the one from St. Matthew's Gospel, the, the longer version. And the reason for this is probably different people remembered what Jesus said in a different way, and one's memory was more complete than another, right? But this prayer is very, very important. It's a prayer that every Christian from the earliest days of the church to this moment has learned to pray. Mary prayed the Our Father. Peter, Andrew, John, Mary Magdalene, all those early followers of Jesus prayed this prayer. And our brothers and sisters in Asia and Africa and all parts of the world have prayed this prayer today, on Sunday, like we do. So this, in some way, this prayer, the Our Father, is the pillar of, of what it means to pray as a Christian. And with that in mind, let's look at this model of prayer and try to understand for ourselves what Jesus is inviting us to do. Let's begin with the opening word, Father. Not every religion addresses God in this way. And the Hebrew or Aramaic word that is used is Abba, which means dearest Father. It's a term of affection, the term that a little, little child would, would use in relationship to her father who she loves very, very much. You know. So we're told about our relationship with God. We can't pray as a Christian unless we believe that God is our father and that we are his children. So you can't pray unless you start off. I mean, you can, you can say, Lord, help me to learn to pray. You can pray that much, you know. But you can't pray after the fashion of Jesus Christ without firmly believing that God is your Father who loves you in that tender, protective kind of way. You have to see yourself as a child, a dependent child, or else your prayer is kind of empty as a Christian. Uh, St. Matthew's version uses the word before Father, are, you know, which is a great reminder to us that we are not called to go to God alone, but we do it together. God isn't my Father. You know, Jesus didn't say, pray, my Father who art in heaven. 
He said, pray our Father who art in heaven, reminding of us of our relationships with one another in, in our Heavenly Father's plan of love. The first thing that we learn about prayer from Jesus is that prayer is first and foremost an act of adoration and praise. It's not a way of manipulating God to get what we want. The first words are not about us. They are about God. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, we don't use that word very much. It means to make something holy. And what it means is, God, may your name be be held with deep respect and love by everyone and everything in the world. You know, it's an act of adoration. We fall on our face before the God who is our Father, praising God for being God, for being our Creator. Now, we don't do that unless we believe God is our Father who is our Creator. You know, God is not our buddy. God loves you very much, more than your buddies do, but God is always God, you know. It's amazing, isn't it, I mean, that the God, the creator of the universe, would bow down and care for us as his children, but he does. But we can't take him for granted. I mean, we, have to, we have to be women and men of adoration and praise if we want to pray after the fashion of Jesus Christ. Hallowed be thy name. Next petition, your kingdom come. You know, Jesus constantly preached about the kingdom of God. His parables were about what it's like to be part of the kingdom. And so when we say your kingdom come, we're praying that all that Jesus teaches us as disciples would become a reality in our own life and in the lives of everyone in the world. We're praying that everyone in the world becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ when we say thy kingdom come. We're not praying that the world will end and, and you know, that, that somehow the last judgment would take place, although some days I feel that would be nice. No, we're praying that, that Jesus' teachings will become part of the life and fabric of everyone in the world. So our prayer is in some sense a missionary prayer, right? I'm asking the Lord to do what we can do to bring the gospel to everyone in the world. Petition number three. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we're talking, he's talking about, Jesus is talking about what we need to survive, you know. And the use of the words is interesting. Jesus didn't say, now this is how you pray. Ask God to give you a big bank account, you know. Although many of us pray for that, I imagine. But all we're, we're required to pray for, or asked to pray for by Jesus, is for our daily bread, what we need for tomorrow. And it kind of keeps us honest in our relationship with God. You know, rich people have a hard time getting to heaven. So why do we pray so much to be rich? Jesus tells us it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And yet we all want to be rich. We want to slow down our chances of getting to heaven, I guess. But the Lord wants us to trust him enough not to worry about anything more than tomorrow. So this is a prayer, a kind of measured, a prayer where we're, in, we're invited to have a trustful relationship with God who will care for us day by day. Now, if you want to pray to be a millionaire, I guess that's fine too. But the essence of prayer is to make an act of trust in God 
to care for you and your family day by day in the world in which we find ourselves. Fourth one. This is an interesting petition because in this petition, we also make God a promise. We say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, we, we, we promise God that if he forgives us, we're going to forgive other people. And if we don't forgive other people, he's not supposed to forgive us. Now, how many of you in this ch- church today, I don't want you to raise your hand, please, not at all, have someone in your life that you refuse to forgive and feel good about it? You know, we really feel good about hating people sometimes, you know. But then we, we execute ourselves when we pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> you know, we say, forgive us in the same way that we forgive other people. And if we don't forgive other people, we're in deep trouble. Because in this prayer, we make a promise to God to forgive our neighbor. And then the last petition There's some controversy about this in the church today. People are wanting to make changes in the translation, but it really is, lead us not into temptation. You know, we're asking God to keep us from falling into sin, to protect us from the dangers of temptations in the world in which we find ourselves. The world is full of temptations. I'm sure you had several of them on the way to church tonight. And you'll have other ones on the way home. And you ask the Lord to send his angels to protect you from those temptations to move away from your Christian commitments. So that's a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. But the qualities of it should, should inform the way we pray all the time in our own words. You know, we should be women and men of adoration. We should be men and women who are constantly praying for God's kingdom to take place in this world. We should be constantly praying not only for our own needs but the needs of our families and our friends. We should be constantly asking for forgiveness because we sin a lot and we should ask for protection from ourselves and from the temptations of the devil that are so much a part of our life. And then after Jesus gives, us, gives the apostles his prayer, he tells them a parable, which is a very interesting parable about friendship. He says, of which... I'll just read it to you because it's very interesting. He said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight. Now, for those of you who are under 35, that might not be a bad idea because you're up at late. I have friends, young friends, who stay up till 1 o'clock every day. I don't know how they go to work. Maybe they don't, you know. But those of us who are old, I think we go to bed at 10 o'clock. And we really don't want a lot of people knocking on our door at midnight. And I think that's the image that Jesus is trying to use in, in this gospel parable. So anyway, you go to a friend at midnight and say, Friend, give me some food, for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey, and I forgot to go get my groceries, and I had nothing with which to feed him. Now, so Jesus is painting a picture of a difficult situation. But if we have someone who is really our friend, 
We don't hesitate to do those kind of things, do we? Because we know they love us and we trust that their love will take care of us in difficult circumstances. But sometimes we get impatient with our friends, like this guy does, and he says in reply from within, do not bother me. My goodness, it's one o'clock in the morning. I've locked my door. Everybody's in bed. I can't get up to get you something now. Then Jesus says, I tell you, if he does not get up to give the visitor the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. You know, let's take care of it so he doesn't keep us up all night long by asking over and over and over again. Now, it's, it's interesting. It's a parable about asking something for someone else, not about asking something for ourselves. Again, you know, it's a story about a friend asking for a friend. So Jesus encourages us to be busily involved in prayer for our friends. How many of you constantly say to other people, I'll pray for you? Okay, how many of you actually do it? I want you to raise your hands on this one. Now, it becomes a formula that we use without really doing it. You know, you ought to develop a habit of doing it right away, even right then and there. We're certainly on the way to the next adventure in your life, you know, rather than putting it off. Or to make sure that at the end of the day, you try to remember all the people you promised to pray for and pray for them, because that's part of what it means to be a praying Christian. And then Jesus summarizes it all with a very beautiful set of things here. And, and to be a, a Christian means to believe this to be true. And if you believe this to be true, you really are a woman of prayer or a man of prayer. This is what Jesus tells you. I tell you, ask and you will receive. Knock, seek rather, and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, how many of you have prayed for something and it hasn't happened yet? We can all raise our hands to that. You notice I cleverly added the word yet, because you know, God's plan is mysterious beyond our thinking. But we have Jesus' promise that the Father always answers our prayer. Perhaps not when we want him to or in the manner we want him to. Uh, sometimes the answer is no. That's an answer, you know. But we have a Father who cares for us. He goes on to say, What father among you would give your son or daughter a snake when they ask for bread? Or a scorpion? You know, scorpions are little insects that really hurt when they sting you, when you ask for an egg. If the wicked know how to give good things to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father care for you? And then listen to this. This is the most important part of this whole passage from the Gospel of St. Luke. Jesus gone to say it. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we who are Christians believe that God is one God, but at the same time, a trinity of distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises us that we will get a share of the life of God if we ask for it, a share of the life of God. 
He's not promising us that we're going to get an inspiration from the Holy Spirit. He's promising us the gift of the Holy Spirit in response to our prayer. Participation in the very life of God, which is much better than an egg or a loaf or anything at all. And that's what God desires the most, that we have a real, real, real permanent relationship with him. May God bring to completion the good things he begins in us this evening.